Well, good morning, church. How are you? Man, I am so glad that you are here to worship with us today. We have got so many great things to share with you this morning. Uh, hey, uh, we have been announcing this for the past couple of weeks, but uh, we are in the midst of September, which means that we are in the middle of Give United. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, uh, we're doing a special program in September uh, where we're raising extra funds and we're going to pour those out onto local area ministries and charities. But we also want you to become more aware of some of these organizations. Uh, so we want to reintroduce to you some really good friends of ours. Uh, I want to reintroduce uh, Jim and Linda Jones. Let me get you guys to go ahead and grab some of those microphones uh, and come on up here. Jim and Linda are the founders of Alabama Childhood Food Solutions. Uh, and some of you guys know of the, this organization. You volunteer with them regularly. Um, I, I actually was here when they began this ministry, literally out of the back of their car saying, well, we see kids who are in need uh, of food. How do we handle that need? And so they just started uh, honoring the Lord in that. And here we are 13 years later. I have watched the Lord bless y'all time and again multiplying your ministry over and over and over to where I, I, every, right now 5,000 people are being impacted every single month by ACFS and what you guys are doing to meet food insecurity here in our area. Uh, and so listen, but some of these folks don't know about the problem or what you guys do. Tell us a little bit about the problem that you guys are helping to address with ACFS. Well, we're, we're feeding families and children. We are right now, we're doing over 2,000 bags a week with children with a backpack ministry. Yes. <laughs> Praise God. And in that bag, we not only give them food, but we give them a little life event card which tells them about Jesus and for them to seek out a church somewhere. And uh, we've had all kinds of people contact us later about those little life event cards. So we know it's doing its work. And then we're, uh, we have grown from like 100... 150 families uh, once a month to now we're doing over 900 families once a month. Yeah. Jim, you were sharing some statistics earlier. I mean, some of this, this hunger is a little bit hard to believe in our area. Tell us a little bit about what's actually happening in our area. Well, you can't see hunger as you drive down the street. You may walk by somebody that's hungry already and never know it because people try to hide that. They're embarrassed to be hungry. One in four children in the, in the central Alabama is food insecure. One in five adults, especially senior citizens, don't have enough food during the course of the month. They uh, get their bills paid. They get most of their medicines paid. They get their car fixed for the most part. But they just don't have food at the end of the week. And uh, we have been doing something about it. We're really excited that we can continue to do that. We've been on five continents on, in the world and seen hunger everywhere that we went on short-term mission trips. And when we came back to central Alabama and Sylacauga on the, one, the end of one of those trips, I realized that I could save almost $8,000 in airfare by, by doing something about hunger in my own area. That's right. And this really is a, a larger problem than you might imagine, and it, this is... It's just right here in our county. So you guys are based out of Sylacauga. We work out, and now you've got yeah. more expansion opportunities. So, so tell us about that as well. Well, in, in addition to uh, Talladega County, we serve South Shelby County and, and many counties in central Alabama, a total of nine. We serve 38 schools, uh, and we're supported by all the publics, 
Walmart and you. <laughs> and and that, makes, that makes a big difference in our life. I think he wanted you to tell about the expansions that we're doing. I, I'm, okay. <laughs> He's getting there. He's getting there. Just go. Let's go. This story only takes an hour, so just be calm. <laughs> we started out with 40 bags of food out of our pickup truck, and then we've added students and families over the years. And uh, we have most recently expanded to 5,000 uh, persons a month. In the next 30 days, we will add two additional satellite warehouses, one in Wetumpka, Alabama, and one in Lincoln, Alabama, so that uh, by the end of October, we will be touching 10,000 lives a month. And that's because God is at work. Yeah. And, and look, what, what an understatement that God is at work. I have watched the Lord just bless you guys time and time again and what you're doing. And look, time does not, it fails us for y'all to hear all of these stories uh, of how he has done this in our lives. And look, Jim and Linda do this out of love for the Lord, man. I, for years and years and years, they're not drawing any sort of salary. They don't get anything out of this other than simply to say, we want to love and serve people in Jesus' name. I mean, these are our brothers and sisters who just pour themselves out. And a lot of you have joined in with us. How many of y'all volunteered for ACFS at some point? Raise your hand. Uh, look around the room. Uh, you can see a lot of folks who have gone down to different points and you really can join uh, and help. When can they come and volunteer? We're, we're there Monday through Friday now. Uh, and then Saturdays on the first and the third Saturday of every month. And we're there um, 8 o'clock to 12 o'clock, 1230, just whenever we get through. Yeah. And we need volunteers every day, every day we need volunteers. It takes about 18 to 20 people there a day, and yep. that's a lot of volunteers. And uh, right now we're in urgent need. We, I told uh, Pastor Adam this morning that we're in need of a uh, chaplain for our uh, adults, our families that come through, because we offer them prayer as they come down the hill, and we talk to them about Jesus. And because we want to feed them spiritually as well as their stomach. We want to feed both of them. Anyway, our chaplain that we had died, and he was much loved by all of us and by our clients. They loved him dearly. So we had, we had this big hole that's missing. But in the first service, I told about a chaplain need. And then right after the service, a Army chaplain retired. He's come up and volunteered. He'll be there in the morning. Yeah. So praise Amen. God. <laughs> And one other item, we're in desperate need of an uh, audit, so we need a uh, CPA, CPA that yeah. will do an audit for us. <laughs> so come on up. There you go. You can go on a four-hour mission trip without having to fly. Yep, there you go. Uh, and so, look, you can volunteer with them. Obviously, we want you to pray for them. You can uh, help financially. It uh, helps with them. And look, that's part of what Give United does is help provide needs to this. And I did surprise uh, Jim and Linda in the first service. Uh, we, we offer grants up to $5,000 per organization. We help out every month, but this would be in addition to that. When Jim found out about the limit, he said, it's great for 5000 Can we have nine? Because <laughs> um, he's got things to, to, to do with this money. Uh, and so I told him first service, I tell you again, no. Um, and here's why. We don't want to give you $5,000. We actually want to triple that today and not make you wait until the end of the month and just give you $15,000 today. Uh, and so that's for ACFS to keep going. So. 
We love you. Thank we you love so you. much. Listen, Whoa. Uh, let's pray for Jim and Linda as they continue to do this amazing work. Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, I have just been so honored and humbled to sit and watch what you have do through Jim and Linda and through their hearts, uh, just to take the, their, their availability and their passions and to watch you multiply it time and again to minister to thousands upon thousands of people in your name. And Lord, I know there's so much more work to be done. Would you continue to provide the, the staff, the volunteers, the resources, the food, so we can continue to reach out and, and meet uh, food insecurity needs all across our area and our state now too. God, we give you all the glory for it and pray that more would come to know you because of it. But bless Jim and Linda as they continue to serve you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Can we honor our brother and sister this morning? Thank you. Love y'all. Here we go, come on. Listen, if you don't know Jim and Linda, get to know them. They will tell you stories for days and every one of them is amazing. Uh, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Malachi chapter three, uh, verse eight. Malachi three, verse eight is where we're gonna be this morning as we continue our sermon series called Treasure. We have been living in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus tells us that wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart is going to be also. So there's this link between our treasure and our heart. We've been asking the question, okay, then what is my treasure? What is it that drives me? Well, what is it that I am most passionate about? Because listen, that, that all of us, we're going to reside there. But we've also recognized that our money is attached to that. Wherever our true treasure is, that's where our money flows from and into, and that money actually affects our heart. Our heart affects how we are going to use that money. And so we remember also what Jesus said, that you cannot serve both God and money. And so we're asking that question too, of like, okay, is there any place in my life where that is occurring? And now we're beginning to say, okay, then how then do I use this resource? How do I use the, the, the funds, the money, the resources that God gives me for his kingdom instead of simply for earthly treasures? Uh, and so we're going to uh, look at that by like, looking at Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. If you have not already found yourself there, uh, Malachi is Old Testament, uh, but it's easy to find. It's the last book in the Old Testament. So find Matthew, go back one book, and you found Malachi, and you're right there. Uh, so Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. We're going to be talking about tithing this morning. And then right now, some of you wish you hadn't shown up, right? Uh, look, you say the word tithing and everybody kind of puckers up a little bit, right? Uh, because you might have grown up in a tradition that really overemphasized tithing. Uh, you might have been in a tradition that, that kind of really talked about that in an appropriate manner, or you might have grown up in a tradition that didn't want to talk about it at all because other traditions had overemphasized this work. But it's one of those things that we really need to grapple with, not to feel afraid of, but also not something to run from. What does the Bible tell us when it comes to our giving and giving back to the Lord? Because this is a discipline that is beneficial for all of us. So that's why Malachi chapter 3 is helpful to us this morning. Before I read the text, let me give you a little bit of context of what we're about to read. Um, if you're aware of Israelite history, uh, you know that they experienced an exile. God had given them the promised land, uh, but after they lived there for a couple hundred years, they were, began to be idolatrous. God said, hey, don't do that. You're gonna lose everything. 
They refused to listen, and after a very long period of time, the Lord did come in and destroy everything. The people were exiled into Babylon. But even then, God was not done. He brings them back to the promised land. He gives it to them yet again. And so all these people come back to the promised land, but now they've got to rebuild everything. Malachi is happening during this post-exile time. And so the people have come back. They're having to rebuild all the infrastructure, but it is really tough going. They've got a ton of neighbors who are nasty and don't want to see them succeed. The crops are not coming in as they all thought that they were going to come in. There's a recession happening. And so everybody's in kind of dire straits. And so one of the ways that they have decided to cope with that is to say, hey, we just can't tithe anymore. We just can't bring anything more into the Lord. This is tough going. Look, God, I'll give you back to you when things are, are good again, but I just don't have the, the excess now. I'm not going to give to you anymore. Times are just too tough. And so the Lord sends the prophet Malachi to speak to them. It's a very interesting book if you haven't read it. Uh, the way his prophecies work out, they are, they are disputations. It's almost as if God is arguing with his people where the people say this and God will respond. And so look at what God says to his people through the prophet Malachi, Malachi chapter three, starting in verse eight. Look what he says here. It says this, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Uh, you're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I'll stop right there. These are some of the most shocking verses in all of Scripture. If these aren't underlined in your word, I would go ahead and underline and meditate on it. But these are shocking verses. The first thing that's shocking here is he, the Lord is making an accusation against Israel. He says, you are robbing me. You are robbing God. And to which they reply, how? Well, how are we robbing you? By keeping back your tithes and contributions. By refusing to give to me, you are robbing me. What an amazing accusation. And you may have heard that before, don't rob God. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I began thinking about this week. How do you actually do that? You ever thought about that? How would you rob a deity? Is that possible? What are you going to do? You're going to grab a gun and say, stick him up, right? Can you mug God? Can you go take from him? Can you say, look over there, grab his stuff and run? How would you rob God? It doesn't even seem to make sense why is God making this accusation? He says, well, you are robbing me by, by refusing to give, so much so that I'm going to curse you. Look at verse nine, and notice what he says. He says, you are cursed with a curse because you are robbing me. The people are saying to God, God, we don't have enough to give to you. God's response is, you don't have enough because you're not giving to me. The reason it's not going well for you is because you're trying to do this all on my own, all on your own. You're ignoring me. You're not including me in this. And so since you refuse to give, I'm also not going to give to you. Which I don't know if that sounds petty to you or not, but the more you think about it, it is a little bit odd. Why would God even care? Why does he care if they give him anything? It's not like he's got a lack. It's not like he needs them to give. It's not like he's going to starve if they don't give to him. He owns everything in the universe. Why does it matter? 
He clearly doesn't need what they are offering. So why would God care so much as to say, you are robbing me when you are not bringing your tithes into the storehouse? And the answer is this. God doesn't actually need those gifts, but the people need to give. God doesn't actually need what is given, but we need the practice of giving. Here's why. When the people are failing to give, they are ignoring two fundamental realities about life. When we go to the Lord and we say, I can't give, I'm not going to give, I'm going to ignore giving, we are ignoring two fundamental realities about life, two fundamental beliefs that all of us ought to bank our life on. And those two fundamental realities are these. We say God is a provider and God owns everything. God owns everything and God is a provider. When we look at the Lord and we say, I refuse to give to you, we are ignoring or, or, or literally disbelieving in those two fundamental truths. And I wonder if you believe those this morning. Let's look at them in turn. The first one is this, that God owns everything. Whatever the Israelites have, it is a gift. They, of all people, should know this. Remember, this is the promised land, not a land that they rightfully had. They didn't own it from all time. No, God just gave it to them. And even when they lost it, God gave it back again. Everything they have is a gift. God is saying everything in the universe is mine. When we look back at the Lord, when the Israelites looked at him and says, God, yeah, I know that that may be true in some things, but, but I gotta pay bills and I gotta do this and I gotta do these things and I just don't have enough to give to you. Do you know why? Because this is mine. It's mine. To which God, I think, would say, mine how? How is it yours? Is it rightfully yours? And even if it's rightfully yours, can you keep it? Can you possibly keep what is yours? Can you keep it back from rust or moth who destroy? Can you keep it back from thieves who break in and steal? And even if you could somehow avoid those enemies, can you keep it from death? Death will come and take everything from us. We can't take anything with us. We look at our lives and we say, well, these things are mine. You say, yeah, but Adam, I have earned it. Yes, you've worked for these things, but, but how did you earn those things? With the abilities that God has blessed you with, by putting you in a time and a place where you had advantages to make sure you could do those things? We didn't earn that. It was just given to us. I had no hand in when I was born, how I was born, the family I was born into, the abilities that I was had. These are all gifts from the Lord. And when we look at the Lord and say, but yeah, but this part is mine. I don't have any extra. This is mine. It is denying a fundamental reality that everything is the Lord. Did you know that he didn't have to ask for the first 10%? He can ask for the first 90% because it's all his. He has the right to say, give everything to me because it's all mine. And yet he says, bring the first fruits, that first 10% back. He has every right to everything. Why? Because God owns it all. When you and I misunderstand this and we think all of this is mine, it is mine to spend, it is mine to use, it is only for me. This is a misunderstanding of the fundamental reality that God owns everything. But here's the almost bigger truth. God is a provider. God is a provider. We can stop with point one. God has the right to say, 
you are going to give me this and I'm God, so do what I say. But God doesn't stop there. What he says is this, I need you to remember that I am a provider. Look at verse 10. 10 is the most shocking. Look what it says here. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That is shocking. It is actually forbidden in the Old Testament to test the Lord. You do not put the Lord God to the test. That is forbidden. So why is the Lord inviting it here? Well, there's actually two different words for test. This is a different word for test than where he talks about the, uh, the forbidden action of testing the Lord. That kind of testing comes out of cynicism. It comes out of doubt. This is a different kind of test. This is more of a proving. Let me show you. I'm gonna prove this to you. It's that kind of test. And look at what the Lord is saying. He says, I dare you. Test me and see. That when you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and just wash down upon you a torrent of blessing, you're gonna give to me, but you can never outgive me. You give part back to me, I give even more back to you. You can never outgive the Lord. What he's trying to show us is that he's a provider. And when the people look back at the Lord and say, nope, 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 you can't provide for me. I gotta provide for myself. I can't possibly give back to you because the only one who's taking care of me is me. The only one who can take care of my bills is me. The only one who can take care of my life is me. What we're implicitly saying is, I do not trust that God will provide for me. I do not believe you, God, that you either can provide for me or that you're good enough that you will provide for me. So I better take care of myself. We're denying God's provision. You see something similar in scripture uh, when it deals with the Sabbath. God gives the people the Sabbath. He says, listen, you're gonna work six days and then I wanna give you a day off. Uh, one day a week where you do nothing and I'll just provide for you. It's a day of complete and total rest. No, don't fudge it. Just, just like, really, just like have a full day of rest and I'll just bless you. It was forbidden to fast on the Sabbath. You were supposed to feast on the Sabbath. You were supposed to enjoy time with family, enjoy good food. You were supposed to enjoy time together. But routinely, people just wouldn't take their Sabbaths. In fact, if you look at Ezekiel, that's one of the main arguments in the prophet Ezekiel's uh, words, where he says, you profane my Sabbaths, you profane my Sabbaths. That what they're basically saying is like, hey God, listen, I, I know that, that you said you would take care of me, but literally the world will fall apart if I stop working. The world literally cannot get along without me. So God, I know you're kind of good at creating universes and stuff, but you don't know about my workplace. You don't know about my employees. You don't know about my family. And if I stop working for a day, it'll all fall apart. I'd love to take a day off, but I just can't. God, you can't handle it. I gotta work every day. Do you see what's happening? It's basically looking at God and saying, you can't handle it. I'm the only one who can. It is a denial of God's goodness, a denial of his love, a denial of his ability to provide for us. And giving is the same way. When we look at the Lord and say, but God, I can't possibly give. I got too many bills. I, got, I can't possibly give. I got too much going on. We're looking at God and saying, God, you can't possibly come in and fill in the gaps. I'm the only one who can help my, me. Which is why we're so anxious about money. 
We said this a couple of weeks ago. I, I've, I've never met somebody who was stressed out because they were too generous. I just haven't had a comment. Adam, I, do, I, I write so many checks helping so many people. I'm just broken down. Can you help me? No one says this to me. But how much financial stress is in this room? We say, I got so many bills and I'm up to my eyeballs and debt and I'm, I'm doing all these things. Are you giving? No, I can't possibly do that. I'm too busy trying to do it myself. Listen, if you want to take care of yourself, have at it, my brother. Have at it, my sister. But in addition to all of that, here's what you're going to get. A ton of anxiety because it's all on you. If you want it all, have it all. But the anxiety will crush you. What happens when I turn back to the Lord and recognize there's a God who loves me, who is literally shockingly saying, test me and see if I will not help you. And he does. So, so let's talk about tithing in and, and, and principle. Let's talk about this in scripture. What does the Bible tell us about our giving? Let's start with the Old Testament. Uh, tithing comes from the Old Testament. In fact, that word tithe means 10%. It means just, uh, that's what a tithe means. We've kind of broadened the meaning of the word to, to mean just giving in a lot of ways, but the word technically means 10th, which is why you get this 10% number because that's what the word uh, means. Furthermore, the Bible says that the tithe is holy unto the Lord. Look what it says here in Leviticus 27, verse 30. It says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So this is not like a secondary issue. God cares about it. This is why he's angry in this passage. He says, because this is holy and we are profaning it when we keep it for ourselves. Here's the third thing. It is first. We don't just bring any 10%. We bring the first 10%. We bring the best 10% that we have. Look at this in St. Chronicles chapter 31, verse 5. It says, as soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits, notice that word, of grain, wine, oil, honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. So when you bring a tithe, you don't just bring any 10%, you bring the best 10%. You bring the first 10%. Have you ever heard that word first fruits? It's coming from this passage. But many people say, yeah, Adam, that's great and all, but you just quoted Leviticus of all places. Have you read Leviticus? There are crazy things in there. There's all kinds of rules and stuff in there. And Adam, we don't do any of those. So, so uh, we, we don't have to do tithing anymore, do we? Because that's a part of the law. Well, tithing actually predates the law. Let's talk about Abraham for a second. You remember Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. Well, before Father Abraham had many sons and many sons with Father Abraham, uh, he was called Abram, and Abram won this massive battle. He's the progenitor of Israel. There is no nation. There's just Abram. But after this battle, he does something interesting. Look what it says here. This is in Genesis. It says, In Melchizedek, the king of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Did you catch that? And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, this is a very interesting figure. We don't know a lot about Melchizedek, but Abram did. And said, he's a priest of the one true God, the God who had called him. And after he wins this battle, he doesn't keep all the spoils. He immediately finds this priest and gives him the first fruits, gives him a tenth of everything. This is way before there's a nation, way before there's a law. You can go back even farther though. 
Let's go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve have two children. Remember, Cain and Abel. You might remember there was a scuffle between the two of them. Look what happens in Genesis chapter 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. He will become so angry, he will actually kill Abel over this, right? Which that's tough. But look at what is happening. Abel's bringing the firstborn. He's bringing the fat portions. He's bringing the best to the Lord. But there's a deeper question. Who told them to do this? How did they know to do this? Who's on the planet right now? You have Adam, Eve, and these guys. Who told them to give? Who told them they should bring this? Well, the only options are their parents, or the Lord through the Spirit. That's it. But at the very beginning, they acknowledged everything is the Lord's. Everything we have is a gift, and you are our provider. So I will bring back a first fruits to you. I will bring the best portions to you. Why? Because you own everything. So these two fundamental realities are core for us. God, you own everything, and you will absolutely provide. You say, okay, Adam, but then what about the New Testament? What does the Bible say in the New Testament? Well, uh, many people will say you don't really see tithing in the New Testament. And in the main, that's true. You only see tithing mentioned in three different instances in the New Testament. In one instance, Jesus is telling a parable about a Pharisee. And that Pharisee is praising himself because he tithes so much more than this sinner over here. And God clearly is disregarding the Pharisee and acknowledging the sinner. In a second spot, Jesus is excoriating the Pharisees because they're tithing in all their spices, but they're neglecting mercy and justice. He says you should keep tithing on that stuff and do these things as well. And then in Hebrews chapter 7, you see a reference to Melchizedek and the fact that Abram gave a tenth to Melchizedek. So it was a reference back to Genesis, and that's it. That's the only times that you see tithing mentioned in the New Testament. And so many people will say, okay, so when it comes to giving, tithing is not the standard of giving in the New Testament, and that is absolutely true. Tithing is not the standard of giving in the New Testament, which many of you just goes, all right, wow, man, you had me going there, man. (laughs) I thought you were going a totally different direction. I thought you were going to tell me we still had to tithe. I am very glad to hear that. I am ecstatic to hear that tithing is not the standard of the New Testament. That's correct. Tithing is not the standard in the New Testament. Here's the standard in the New Testament. It's extravagant giving. Over and abundant extravagant giving. That's the thing. Oh, man, what do you mean? Look, let me show you what Christians do in the New Testament. Here's what Christians do. Look at this in Acts 2.44. Right after the church is born, what do they have? And all who are believed were together and had all things in common. Not the first 10%, all of it. Hey, I got a house. Man, how can I help you? You need to borrow something? Borrow it, man. Everything is open. It's fair game because we, we have everything from the Lord. Not 10%, everything. You see other places in Acts where people are just bringing my fields and other stuff and they're, and they're just laying that at the apostles' feet. We, we looked at this one a couple weeks ago. Look in 2 Corinthians when it talks about the Macedonians. Look what it says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty 
have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. What is happening here? The Macedonians are in this very similar situation as the Israelites in Malachi, but instead of withholding their giving, they are begging for the opportunity to give. Why would they do that? Because they are recipients of grace. They have salvation. They recognize now I was bound for hell. I deserved hell. I know what my sins have cost me and what I would have to pay, but the Lord didn't make me pay that. And instead, not only did he give me mercy and not send me to hell, but then his son dies for me, pays for my sin, and he just lavishes salvation upon me. I am saved in Jesus Christ, though I do not deserve it. I will never be able to repay what he has given to me. But Jesus Christ has saved me. My hope is in Jesus. And since I have been given so much, how could I not give? If God has given me this grace, how could I not help but be gracious? And so it becomes the practice of the church to be extravagantly gracious, to be extravagantly generous, Tithing is not the ceiling that we're looking for. It's the floor that we build upon. We look at the Old Testament and say, we've received more than them. We have more hope. We have more security in our salvation. We have more grace. We have more blessing. We know the salvation of Jesus. They had 10% or a little bit more in the Old Testament. How can we not give even more if we have received so much? And the Lord is continuing to promise more. He says, his offer still stands. I will pour out my blessings upon you. I'll provide for all of your needs and more. I give you things, everything richly to enjoy. He just pours it out on us. What we see in the early church is people receiving grace and then giving grace. And so far from jettisoning um, tithing, you see them continuing to tithe. You see them continue to give. In fact, look what happens in the early church. Uh, this is from the Didache. Uh, this is kind of like a church manual that was uh, circulated around in the first and second century. So this is not scripture, but this gives you an idea of how people are, are walking in the Lord in the early church. And listen to what it says. It says, and when you bake a batch of loaves, take the first and give it away as the commandment directs. Similarly, when you broach a jar of wine or oil, take the first portion to give to the prophets. So too, with your money and your clothing and all your possessions, take a tithe of them in whatever way you think best and make a gift of it as the commandment bids you. And so here you have the early church continuing tithing and even more. And, and look, it goes all throughout these first few hundred years. Uh, some of these names in this list uh, might be familiar to some of you. You've got the Didache. This is the first and second century. Uh, Irenaeus in the second and third century. Augustine, many of you might know him, in the fourth and fifth century. Jerome, also in the fourth and fifth century. These are all early church fathers. These are all bishops. These are all have huge influence in the church. All of them taught tithing as the norm. All of them. For 600 years. In the early church, far from saying, hey, we're set free from that, they said, well, no, we, we, we're gonna do even more because of what the Lord has given to us. When the Lord sets us free, he doesn't set us free to be more stingy. He sets us free to be more generous. If you and I have been set free from sin, we don't, we don't look at that and say, man, this is awesome. I don't, I'm not going to hell anymore. I've been cleansed from all our sins. You know what I'm gonna do in response? I'm gonna sin more. 
I ought to be able to sin more. I mean, I can't lose my salvation. Going to heaven, why don't I sin more? No one says that. Instead, we say, if I've been cleansed of such sins, how can I not pursue after righteousness and holiness? Not to keep my salvation, not to earn my salvation, but in response to such an amazing grace, how could I not also show grace? And if we do that in our, in our search for purity, how could we not also with our giving say, Lord, you have blessed me with so much. I therefore will continue to give to you. So we continue this practice of tithing. Why? It reinforces these core values that God is the owner of everything. All I have is his. But even beyond that, God is a provider. He loves me and he will provide for me. And so this month, we are going to take God up on his offer and we're going to put God to the test. He said we could. And so I want to show you this in real time. And this is why we're doing Give United this month. If you're new to us, here's how Give United works. We're going to challenge everybody this month for one month to give the full tithe, the full 10%. Remember, I don't know if you're doing this or not. I'll never know if you're doing this or not. I don't know who does and who doesn't. We've got a lot of generous people in this church. I don't know where you are. But, but all of our members, we're going to ask you to give the full 10%. Attenders, we never expect anything from you. We're just glad you're here. But this month, I want you to jump on board and say for one month, I'm gonna give the full tithe. Students, that's you too. You gotta learn how to do this early in your life. Don't wait until you kind of pawn this off on your parents. Say, nope, I'm in. I gotta do this. You got a job, you got an allowance. Man, make this a part of what you do. Here's what you're going to see. Uh, we're gonna meet our budget and we can, let's go ahead and put the slide up there if we can. Uh, our budget is $234,000 for the five weeks that we're going to do this, Okay. Last week, we brought in almost 110. It was a really great week last week. As soon as we hit 234, everything over and above that, we're gonna pour out on a bunch of local ministries. Every penny, we're gonna pour out. In years past, we've gone from anywhere from 60 to $150,000 in one month that we will then just bless with other, bless all of these organizations with. We were able to do that this morning early with Jim and Linda. That's because we paid off our debt early off this year. And when you pay off debt, that gives you more resources, which allows us to be more generous. And so they're not the only organization we're going to surprise with a lot more money. You should show up for the rest of the, money, rest of the month. It's going to be fun as we continue to bless people. But I want to show you when all of us are faithful, not only are all of our needs abundantly met, we have so much more with which to be generous to everyone around us and more people give glory to the Lord as we continue to bless those who are around you. So I challenge you, try this for one month. I'll make you a guarantee. You won't go broke. You won't. I've never met anybody saying, man, I'm not trying to tithe. I got one bankrupt. No one. You won't have to sell your house. You might have to sell your car. I don't know. I don't know what you're driving, right? I don't know what kind of rate you want. You might want to reevaluate that one. But listen, it's not gonna happen. Look, you're gonna be fine for one month to say, I want to give the full 10% to the Lord and see what he will do. See how he will take care of you. See the joy that comes from this, that you will participate and you will grow in your faith of recognizing God owns it all. It's not mine anyway. I get to give, to join in with him. And God is a provider. He takes care of me and all that I need and more. And so look, a, a couple of things that will help you in that. First off is this, when you give, we give as an act of worship. Look, if you, if you give just because I'm guilting you into it, just don't do it. 
If you feel pressured, just don't do it. If you really don't want to, just don't do it. That's fine. Because this ought to be an act of worship. It's not an act of worship. If it's just checking off a box or being legalistic, it's not gonna help you anyway. No, when I give, it is an act of worship to recognize yet again, God, I give this first portion back to you because it's all yours. And everything I have is a gift. And God, I trust you to provide all that I need. And so I do this as an act of worship. Here's the second thing you do. You need to bring the first fruits. Don't bring the dregs. Don't bring the leftovers. Bring the first fruits to the Lord. Don't look at your budget and say, well, if I have any leftover, maybe I'll give a little bit. No, 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 no. Flip that and say, I want to start with the Lord and then give to everything else. Uh, this is where the question comes up. Do I give on the gross or the net? Do I give on the gross or the net? Andy Stanley has a great rejoinder with this where he just says, hey, do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? Which one do you want? How do you want to play this game? You can go little. You can sow sparingly and you can reap sparingly or you can sow generously and you can reap generously. All right, dry it out. And look, here's the thing. This is why I think we ought to be tithing on the gross, not the net. I want to give to the Lord before I give to the government. I absolutely trust the Lord more than I trust the government. Well, then why do we wait and give him the second fruits and not the first fruits? Why would I not give him the first fruits? I trust him way more than anybody else. Well, I'm going to give him the first fruits on the gross and not on the net there. Here's the third thing, give consistently. This can't be just like a one-time deal. Obviously, the goal, we're gonna do this for a month, but I hope that you would continue and say, I'm not just gonna do this once, but I wanna make this a practice. I wanna make it a, a, a discipline. And look, this is where that 10% number comes in. Because uh, I would say 10%, Adam, why 10%? Hey, that's what 10th means. It's not a rigid number, but Randy Alcorn, the, the pastor and author said this, and I, I love the way he puts it. He said, uh, tithing is the training wheels of giving. It's training wheels. You know what training wheels do, right? They, they keep you upright. And you need that to get started. I hope you get to a place where you don't need the training wheels. You can just give generously however the Lord leads you to give. But if you've never done this before or this is hard for you, you need a rule to get you started. Well, 10% is a really good rule. It's a good thing to shoot for. And like, like figure it out. And look, I know some of you got like multiple income streams and you got to, he's like, what's the, I don't know. You have to calculate that on your own. I don't know how you figure that out. Be honest in front of the Lord. He'll help you with that. But that number, 10%, it's a good rule to have. I hear other people say, Adam, I don't, I don't like it at all. I'm set free from the law. I'll just give as the Lord leads me. It's interesting. Everybody who says that is always given less than 10%. You ever notice that? Almost everybody tells me, I don't need that. I don't need the law. I'm set free from the law. Nobody's telling me, I'm set free to give 20%. I've never heard that, not once. Almost every single person who keeps telling me I don't want to do that anymore is because they don't want to give a whole lot less. What if we just said, hey, 10% is a good training wheels to kind of get me started. Let me try it. Work with it. You might not get it right off the bat. I, you don't learn how to ride a bike right off the bat, but it, it keeps you in line. Try it. And say, I'm, I'm going to try to do this and see what, Lord see what Lord does. He will transform your heart because then you'll begin to experience more of the joy of grace. You'll get more of the joy of generosity. You'll get more of the joy of seeing God provide for us. Guys, I, I've watched God do this in my life time and time again. I have been through so many different experiences in my life. I started when I was a teenager uh, trying to, to tithe and work this through. And look, I, I've been through job changes, job losses, broken promises, and not once have I ever lacked. In crazy ways, time and again, God has come through and done things. I, I could tell you story after story. You could tell story after story because so many of you have experienced this too. I kid you not, not yesterday. I was sitting at the men's breakfast, hanging around with a group of guys. 
And, and one of them said this. He said, listen, I spent most of my life accumulating wealth, just trying to grab things for me. And I realized now this wasn't really doing me any good. And, and now I'm really trying to turn around and, and amass treasures in heaven. And so I'm, I'm looking for ways to give away. I feel like I've amassed too much and I wanna, I wanna give away. I wanna be generous. And you know what is interesting that's happening? The more I keep giving away, the more God keeps blessing me with. The more I keep giving away, he just keeps giving me more, but I'm just having to look for more places to give away and I'm trying to bless more people. It's amazing what God will do when we just turn all that over to him and say, God, oh, this is yours. And he says, well, you've been faithful in little. Now I can make you faithful in much because your heart is finally in the right place. Where's your treasure? Because that's where your heart is going to be also. We need the discipline of consistent giving to transform our hearts, to remember these truths that God owns everything and he has absolutely a good father who will provide. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. We're gonna close in a song of worship and we got even more exciting things to share in a minute, but... Look, I'm not unaware that this topic can make some of us uncomfortable. For some of us, you're, you're not uncomfortable at all because you've seen this played out in your life. You've seen the generosity of the Lord. But for others of you, this is terrifying. And that's okay. I wonder if we can come to grips in our souls with these two questions. Do I really believe that God owns it all? Do I really believe that? And here's the same thing. Do I really believe he'll take care of me? Do I really believe he'll provide for me with everything I need and more? Do I really believe that he loves me enough to provide me? He gave me salvation. Do I believe that he'll take care of me? Because if we do, well, then it becomes a whole lot easier to give. New things are scary at first, but I wonder if just in your heart, you can begin to work that out with the Lord and, and try it. Put the Lord to the test and let him show you he's so much greater than you think he is. He loves you so much more than you think he does. He can do so much that you can give him credit for. And he's offering that to you. What if you tried it? And see what he will do. So Father, help us. Forgive us, Father, when we clutch on to the things of this world. We're fearful. It's just hard sometimes. But Lord, we want to see you as you are that our hearts might be captured by you and you alone. God, over the course of this month, would you just show us how to give, show us how to be generous like you, transform our hearts, prove it to us that we might not only glorify you and your goodness, but share in giving out just like you give to us with extravagant generosity. And may you receive all the praise for it. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.